Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner. Really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. And welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcast Network. Thank you for joining me again this week. On an, on this episode of the show, we only recognize three quarters, and I say we because I'm joined by my friend Kevin Ferrigan. And Kevin, we, we're ignoring that fourth quarter that we just had to go through, aren't we? Uh, yeah, I mean, it made me want to pour bleach into my eyes, so let's <laughs> pretend it never happened. I'm happy to pretend it didn't happen because we had a pretty damn impressive game from the Bulls against the New Orleans Pelicans up until three quarters. Uh, they were up by 21 points at the, at the end of three quarters. I don't know what happened in the end of that fourth quarter or in that fourth quarter. I do know what happened. The, the Bulls played their worst players and the, the Pelicans are a much deeper team and lo and behold, the, the Pelicans came back and won. But it, it's not necessarily about the results in pre-seasons, but it dampened it somewhat, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, you would hope even as as kind of crummy as some of the guys in the back part of the Bulls rotation that were playing in that fourth quarter are, you would hope that they would be able to hold on to a uh, 21-point lead against what was mostly also backups for the um, the Pelicans, but evidently that was too big of an ask, and uh, yeah, they lost by two points, so, uh, you know, not, not the best way to finish it, but... Uh, I think, um, not to jump too much into it, but I, I, I do think that some of the stuff that resulted in that comeback was things that I noticed about the Bulls' defense, um, even with the starters. And uh, I don't know you know, whether to get too, too worked up about it at this point, but it, it I felt like uh, the 21-point lead, uh, you sh- I mean, you should never blow a 21-point lead, but I felt like it was a little bit fool's gold because I didn't love um, some of the shots they were giving up. Uh, it just seemed like the Pelicans kind of missed them. I I could be wrong about that. I could just be being, you know, glass half empty, which is my general bent. I'd have to go and actually look at, you know, through three quarters, what was like their percentage of uh, contested versus open shots that, um, on the, the tracking data, if that's available for preseason games, I don't know. Um, but it just felt to me like they were, they were giving up some um, pretty easy three point shots or pretty open three point shots. And then uh, Zion was kind of doing whatever he wanted uh, whenever he got to touch the ball. So um, the, the defense is, is uh, a bit of a concern to me. Yeah, and it wasn't great against the Bucks either, but I, I guess whilst we have our issues and whilst it was maybe somewhat predictable that defense was going to be a problem, I guess we were somewhat hopeful of the offensive end maybe ticking over a bit and maybe looking a little bit better. And thus far against the Bucks and particularly against the Pelicans, again, we're ignoring the final quarter there, but the offense at least looks 
I don't know, reimagined, I guess. It looks re-envisioned and just looks to be functioning at a higher level, which I guess is where most of the attention has probably gone from the Bulls fans' perspective, more so than defense. And I think that's fair. And maybe, maybe we can start there and we can work our way back to the defense and maybe some of the other things that we haven't loved over the first two games. But I think yeah, it's only fair we, we start with the be, offense. Let's not be uh, our usual pessimistic selves. Let, let, let's, get, <laughs> let's move to something that's a, a little bit more positive. Uh, well, I mean, 24 assists in the is, first half. That's pretty that's pretty positive. Yeah, I was going to say I think that the the ball was definitely uh and this has been true across both games. Uh one uh Stefan uh no uh from the Athletic tweeted out uh the stats on the distribution of where the their points were coming from in the mm, first game yeah. and I would be very surprised if it wasn't very similar. Um, and then in this game, uh, they are getting their shots in the paint and at the three point line, um, there, the ball is definitely moving. It's, uh, with a few exceptions, but for the most part, the ball is, is not sticking in any one person's hands, uh, except for, uh, on the few occasions when Chris Dunn touches the ball. And then, uh, Zach, Zach is still has a tendency to, to want to pound the air out of the ball. He's not as bad as he used to be at, about that. Uh, he is moving it better than um, he has for most of his career. Uh, but relative to sort of the, the way that the offense flows when those guys don't see the ball or aren't on the court, it, it is sort of a little bit noticeable. But overall, the, the offense definitely... Um, you know, there's a lot. It seems like there's a lot more cutting going off, going on on the weak side. Um, there's, you know, it's not just one action and then everybody else stands around and watches it. Um, it's not, you know, throw the ball into, uh, you know, somebody who's uh, a big lumbering post-up center like what they were doing with Robin Lopez uh, for much of last year during Boylan's tenure and also tried to do with Wendell, even though he's relatively undersized for a center and posting him up is terrible use of his skill set. Um, but, you know, just overall, like the, the offense definitely looks much, much better. Um, and, you know, as sort of uh, critical as I was being of the defense, I think that um, it is probably easier uh, to install a new offensive system um, and get guys to really buy into that, especially guys that are high IQ offensive players um, like Sadoransky, like Thad Young, um, and uh, even Lowry, I think, uh, is, is sort of poor as his um, with the ball in his hands creation skills can be sometimes. I think he is like pretty good when guys are cutting around him, and also he... Um, himself is a is a you know smart and intelligent cutter uh when he doesn't have the ball um and that was kind of wasted a lot uh in prior versions uh of the bulls team with him on it because he didn't have anybody that had their head up and was looking uh to make passes to you know a cutting big man yeah i mean i mean that's all they're all good points and i i, I don't know where to start with the offense because there's been so many changes that i don't know what the catalyst is or whether it's just again we're, we're recording this straight after the game and the ultimate caveat of course is that it's only two preseason games so who knows if all this holds but i i wonder if it i don't think it's a coincidence i'll say this that thomas or tomas sadaransky started for this team today and the offense looked a lot better even against the Bucs the offense looked good against the Bucs but it looked otherworldly good against the Pelicans today but I'm wondering if 
Maybe it's a bit of correlation. Maybe it's causation. I don't know exactly what the case is, but I'm not necessarily surprised that starting Sadoransky in a, in a lineup with Levine, Markinen, Otto Porter, of course, Christian, uh, Cristiano Felicio is out there as well. well. We'll talk about that last bit a little bit later on, but is there some correlation or causation with Sadoransky being in there and maybe the offense flowing a little bit better than certainly what it did last season, but even better than what it did against that Bucks game? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's a couple of reasons for that. I think that Sadoransky is, uh, like I was mentioning, kind of a, a smart player. Not kind of. He is a smart player who um, makes quick decisions uh, when he has the ball. He's either going to pass it or try to dribble to a more advantageous advantageous situation or shoot it and he's not gonna really stand and hold the ball uh and really think about it for too long he's a very sort of uh reactive player but you know not in a way that is um not in a way that that is like he's letting the defense dictate things he just is going to make decisions quickly um and that makes a huge difference in terms of what an offense can look like uh then i think the other thing is is that um a lot of what the bulls were doing uh so far as i could tell offensively and again i'd have to like go back and really you know watch film to be able to say this with like certainty but like from from what i could tell you know on first watch like in real time it seemed like a lot of what they were they were way that they were able to get their uh, shot distribution sort of to what they were aiming for, basically good shots, high value shots at the, in the paint and uh, behind the three point line is that, you know, they, they would get somebody driving downhill into the paint and then kick it out and then swing it uh, as the defense is scrambling off of that. Um, Chris Dunn, because he can't really shoot very well, um, doesn't, uh, space the floor all that well, and so you don't have as much uh, room to operate for guys like Zach to um, get going downhill. I mean, there's things you can do uh, to to um, still get those guys opportunities um, and to get them going downhill, even with a, a sort of subpar shooter out there with them. But it just makes it way more easy, and uh, you don't even really have to think about it if you have somebody who just standing in the corner is a threat to shoot forty percent. Um, and you know, Sadoransky isn't also also isn't going to let the defense off the hook um, by just standing in the corner. Like if you're if you're just going to park somebody that by him um, who's watching actually watching Zach uh, start to drive towards the basket and they take their eyes off of Sadoransky, he's, again, smart enough to cut to the basket and get uh, a bucket that way. So, like, he's just, like, such a bigger off-ball threat than um, Chris Dunn and just such a smarter and faster decision-maker that it uh, it really opens up the offense quite a bit. And, you know, I would be very surprised if he's not the uh, starter come – the start of the season, especially if they actually have aspirations of making the playoffs, um, you need to play your best players. Uh, and Sadoransky is, um, he's just better than Kristan and he fits this personnel much better. Yeah, 100%. And like, well, like I mentioned before, we're recording this straight after the game. So that as the news is coming out post game, obviously we're learning about it as we're recording. And to that point, Jim Boylan has just basically said that he will have a decision on his starting point guard probably before 
preseason and preseason is done. And I, I'm assuming based on that language that it means that Aransky is likely to be the guy for all the reasons that you sort of mentioned. But yeah, the offense just flowed a lot quicker, a lot smarter. And Boylan has been emphasizing, you know, half a second. That's the, that's all you need to, eat, to to make some sort of positive play, whether it's shoot, whether it's dribble, or whether it's move the ball on. Just make a decision quickly. And to your, to your exact point, Sadoransky does that, whereas Dunn probably takes maybe a second, a second and a half to to survey the survey the other uh, defense, what's what he's going to be doing, whether he's going to be dribbling, whether he's going to take a shot, whatever he may be doing, he takes some time. Whereas Sato doesn't do that, and it, it's pretty clear that I think he's shaping into that starting point guard. Eleven points, uh, eight assists, five rebounds for Sadoransky in twenty minutes. Shot five from five from six from the field, so he was pretty damn effective. He started, he didn't start that great because he had a couple turnovers, for, but after that point, he was damn impressive. Yeah, so he was uh, he made he made a couple of lazy passes early yeah. in the game that were it, you could tell he wasn't fully <laughs> kind of engaged in the game yet. Uh, it seemed like he was just not uh not present yet and then he snapped out of it yeah and to be fair i mean this pelicans defense they're big and they're large and they're quick and they can switch everything as well so the bulls had like five or six turnovers in that first quarter period where they were just throwing away casually but at the same time i mean those those pelicans move can move on the court but i guess once they got past that point the offense really kicked into gear and sort of midway through that first quarter into that second quarter as well. And I guess it was Zach Levine who was doing most of the damage. He had 28 points in 24 minutes, 10 of 16 shooting. He has continued his growth from last season. It would seem he was pretty damn good against the Bucs. He was amazing against the Pelicans. It seems like this is shaping up to be his offense at the moment. Yeah, for sure. I think Zach is... um... You know, I think there was some question um, before the before these games started, whose offense was it going to be? Um, I think just by nature of skill set um, and uh, talent level, that it was always going to be this. Um, I think some people thought, well, maybe they'll you know try to center the offense more around uh, Larry Markinen. Um That you know very much does not seem to be the case. Um, and some of that I think is just this sort of the driving kick, make, make quick decisions with the ball, pass it, get the, keep the ball moving side to side, as Tom Thibodeau used to always say. Um, I think that, you know, having that, uh, focus, um, is largely good. Uh, but somebody that's a dependent player like Lowry, uh, if he's not more aggressive about hunting uh, the ball, hunting openings in that offense, he can fall through the cracks. And I think that's largely what we've seen um, the first two games, uh, which has been, you know, kind of disappointing for me. I think the, the opposite is true of Zach. Um, He is, you know, very clearly uh, wants to make the all-star game. You know, it's in Chicago this year prior to the season. I think it was even last season, uh, was talking about how if they were winning more, he probably would be getting consideration for that. Um, you know, I think it was kind of silly, but he said something in an interview to the effect of what's the difference between me and Kemba Walker when you look at our numbers. And he said, it's, you know, it's just that his team has more wins than mine. Um, you know, I don't think that's the only difference. I think that, you know, even as small as he is, Kemba is less bad defensive player than Zach, but, that's all kind of besides the point. The larger point is, is that this definitely feels like Zach's offense. Um, you know, whether that's a, 
to the extent that it's anybody's offense. Like I said, it does feel kind of like they are trying for a sort of um, egalitarian sort of thing, but to the extent that they need uh, somebody to be the threat that makes that whole thing work, it's Zach. Um, and, you know, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing remains to be seen, but so far it's looked pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, an inter- it's going to be an interesting push and pull because I think, yeah, Jim Boylan has talked about multiple ball handlers. He wants multiple creators, and I think we see that when they grab and go off off a defensive off a defensive play. They finish off the play. They rebound the ball. They push. There was a number of times where Otto Porter was leading the break. He was finding Kobe White for a three. That looked nice. Obviously, Zach can create and go. Lowry can do that. Pretty much, they're gonna, they've got four or five guys on the court. Maybe not when Felicio is on there, but they have five. But beyond that, they've got three or four guys that can sort of grab and go and create in that sense. But when the game sort of slows down a bit when it enters that half court it, it it does feel like Zach Levine's offense and there has to be a guy at that point and I guess that's been the interesting thing or the interesting takeaway after two preseason games that I don't know what's up with Lowry but he's, he seems somewhat passive I think I'm pretty sure he's shot five for 12 for both games he definitely was five for 12 from the field um, against the Pelicans I believe and I'm just checking the yeah, box box correct. score as well five for 12 as well so not the greatest of shooting he has shot pretty well from the three-point line but Beyond his numbers, uh, I think it's probably more his play in terms of his aggression, and, and that was probably the biggest question I had about Lowry and the offense as to whose it should be coming into it, as to, you know, is Lowry ready or prepared to take the offense away from Zach or vice versa, and I, I'm just not of the opinion that the offense should be run through Lowry and if he's not prepared to, to go and chase it and go after it, and now again, caveat, two preseason games, but he has looked a little bit passive out there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's a fine line, right? Like, I I don't think Lowry is good enough at this point to be the hub of a good offense. Um, yeah. And um, so I I think that it's right for the Bulls. I think their most talented offensive player is clearly Zach. Um, and you know that statement in and of itself is um a little bit like that's why the bulls are projected to win mid 30s games this year it's like if zach levine is your most talented offensive player um no matter how much better the supporting cast got like that does put a little bit of a ceiling on what you can be and i don't say that like as some great slight against zach levine it's just like he's a tremendous scorer um but like he had one assist tonight um and uh, he had one assist and three turnovers. So, twenty-eight points on what amounts to seven t- or eighteen uh, shooting possessions, because he had uh, four free throw attempts and sixteen uh, field goal attempts. Like that's great efficiency. Um, you take that every time, but it it only goes so far if you're not able to translate that into um, production for your your teammates. I think that overall, that like I said, the offense was humming for the three quarters that the starters actually played in, um, and so you know, obviously Zach was a part of that. So it's not really fair to beat up on him for this particular game. But I just think, in terms of the bigger picture, um, I, I think it makes sense to build the offense around him because he's the best you got. Um, I think that it's more, with Lowry. It's not so much that I want the, him to be the first option. I just you know, he had fewer shots this game than Otto Porter. Um, and Otto, you know, is largely a spot-up guy, or that's what he's traditionally been 
for most of his career. Um, obviously, he's flashed uh, in Chicago. He's flashed a little bit more, um, you know, playmaking and off the dribble game and things like that that we haven't really we hadn't really seen in um, Washington and hadn't really seen in, since he was at Georgetown. But like the fact that Otto has more field goals than or field goal attempts than uh, Lowry is, you know, I, I don't think that that's great for him. And it's it's more so just like his his body language. He kind of like seems like he's floating out there. I will say on on the encouraging side of things for Lowry, um, I think his biggest weakness as an offensive player is similar to what I was talking about with Zach. Is like he hasn't really shown much as as a passer or facilitator. Well, he had four assists tonight in you know uh, just under twenty four minutes of play. So like that's good if he if he's um, obviously, you want to see him shoot the ball better, but like if he's going to rack up uh, assists like that, um, I thought he made a couple of nice passes that led to uh, assists or that were assists um, in the short roll. Basically, he was the roll man on a pick and had to make a decision off of a one dribble and you know laid it off to somebody who was cutting uh, as his defender stepped up um, and, you know, had a couple of nifty passes like that. And, you know, if he can do more of that um, and that really will help the Bulls. And like I said, I think he's a smart player. He has the international background and like, I think having an offense where guys are cutting more um, away from the ball will definitely help him um, because it's, you know, actions that you can kind of uh, anticipate, but he doesn't necessarily have to, create everything out of whole cloth. He just has to make the right read. Um, and I think that that's going to be a help for him. But I just would like to see him be a little bit more aggressive about asserting himself as, you know, sure, not the number one option, but he should be the number two option on this team. And I think that he really needs to to be a little bit more assertive about that. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I, I go back and forth as to whether, again, it's preseason, so I don't want to go off the deep end, but it's, it kind of feels like it's in his DNA to be that team first guy where he's more than comfortable sharing the ball, more than comfortable with some of his, I guess, some of his teammates who are more prone to jack up some shots. He's more than happy to get the balls for those guys. And whilst that's commendable, I suppose at the same time for Larry to fulfill his ceiling, you do want him to take some control, even if he isn't that number one option like he sort of stated. But I, I, an interesting element that we had in this game that we didn't necessarily have against the Bucks was we got to see Luke Cornett for his for, or the first time in a Bulls uniform, and he was pretty damn good as well. To the point where it seems like, well, he definitely went Christi, past Cristiano Felicio, who started the game at center. He he moved into that Keith Bogans role pretty quickly, where he played the first six or seven minutes. We didn't really see him again until bench or garbage time. But Luke Cornett came in, and he was pretty damn effective straight away. To the point where it seems like he he as well has gone past. Chris Cristiano Felicio, as has Daniel Gafford, I would assume as well. So what did you make of Cornette and more broadly the potential of this Bulls front court rotation, especially once Wendell Carter comes back? Yeah, I think um I, I think that they have they have enough depth at the in the front court spot that really we really shouldn't I'm gonna go off on a tangent and rant real quick here. Um, <laughs> the the fact that the Bulls have started Cristiano Felicio with the the starting group in the both of these preseason games so far, uh, I get it. Wendell Carter is out, and I think Luke Cornett was out um, in the first game. I, all that's fine. Uh, but 
the, the thing is, is that Cristiano Felicio should not play a meaningful minute with the starting group uh, this entire season because the likelihood that basically if that if that happens, something terrible has, has happened and most of their front court has gotten hurt. Um, and the idea that you would take what the preseason is for is experimentation and getting kind of a an experimental sample of these different lineups and these different potential combinations that you could play with and and see what they might look like against real actual competition and the the fact that you would waste those those opportunities with the starting unit with the the four guys that are out there and put Cristiano Felicio in there is so stupid to me it really like as much as i'm encouraged by the shot distribution stuff that we've seen that is largely the result of them bringing in an offensive coordinator for Boylan the rotations are still Boylan's call and that is just such a red flag to me that he would not think that hey you know Wendell's out let me see what this thing looks like with Lowry at the five because we've talked about getting Lowry minutes at the five and part of the the rationale for bringing in Thaddeus Young was that he's uh you know a starter in a pinch kind of player for the power forward spot so why not test that out and see what you've got with it like it just made no sense to me to spend you know what is a resource your your preseason experimental minutes and lineups that is a resource that you have available to you, and they just, they just wasted valuable time with Felicio, who should not be playing any of the, the minutes that matter in this season. And so it, it just it drove me nuts. Like, it, I'm irrationally angry about it. <laughs> no, I mean, that's fair enough. I mean, pre- I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this right now is not a Felicio fan. I don't think there are many amongst us, but it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't really make sense to be starting Felicio at this point. I I kind of understand why the logic exists that you would you would start Felicio, but to your point, this is the time to be trialing things, whether it's Lowry and, and Thad as your starters, whether it's something different, whether it's getting Daniel Gaffer to start, I don't know, something like that. Just Just try something a little bit different that maybe you normally wouldn't because... Yeah, I don't know why Felicio is playing. Maybe they're giving him an opportunity to reset the slate and giving him that chance to get in there. But we all know he's bad. I mean, he was a minus 15 tonight. Most of that came in that final quarter where the team sort of, well, they got completely destroyed by the uh, the Pelicans' third units. But to your point, there is really nothing to be gained or learned at this point. We're starting Felicio with the starters or really him playing much at all I guess he has to play with the third unit guys but beyond that he, he probably shouldn't be playing at all and when, particularly when you have Felicio starting and then immediately you have Cornet come off the bench and he looks so much more of a superior player and given that the Bulls have brought him in and he's only earning two million dollars or something like that for, for a player of Cornet's status to go so far past Felicio it's yeah it, it's weird that they would start Felicio yeah, um, but to get back to your actual question, because I had to go off on my my rant, <laughs> my, my ranting tangent. Uh, I I like you know I think a couple of the things that are inter- that are nice about this um, big man rotation is that they are actually big. Um, Gafford is big and can jump, and um, then Luke Cornett is like actually seven feet tall uh and you know can shoot and protects the rim i don't think he's you know gonna be i think he's the kind of uh big guy that if you you get him on a switch or something like that uh with a guard 
he's probably going to get roasted, but that's most, you know, backup bigs. So, like, I don't really hold that against him too much. But, you know, he's going to shoot the three. He's going to shoot it whenever he's open. He's not going to hesitate. He's going to provide that spacing element because you have to guard him. You know, I think that he just provides a nice different look that you can have. Um, I thought that it was there was some even some nice uh, big-to-big passing that he had with Lowry um, during the game. I think there was one point Cornette had caught the ball at the top of the key and, you know, the Pelicans' defense was scrambled and somehow they all uh, left Lowry wide open underneath the basket. So he just kind of uh, threw, the, threw a pass over the top of the defense to them, uh, to Lowry and got him a bucket. Yeah, I mean, I think he's really good. I, I really have liked what I've seen from Gafford. You know, people that I respect who talked about him in the draft and stuff have said that they were uncertain that his sort of summer league success that he had was going to translate against the the sort of real players because he's, despite being obviously very vertically athletic, he maybe isn't the, the best athlete laterally. Um, I haven't really seen a ton of evidence of that in the two games that he's played so far. Um, he, he seems to be able to get production, um, you know, pretty much against anybody. Uh, I, I, you know, he was very productive in college. He was very productive in summer league. And so far he's been um, in his, in the limited minutes that he's played, he's been pretty productive um, in, in the preseason. So I I like what I've seen out of him. Um, I really hope that Wendell gets, gets well soon because uh, you know, it's, it sucks not uh, having him out there to get the cohesion, especially where he missed, you know, so much of last season. And also just like all this stuff is helps with development and things like that. And like, he didn't also didn't get to do summer league this year, which was something that he, you know, as a second year player probably would have been at if he was healthy. Um, so, you know, I think that it would be nice, uh, if he was able to get healthy soon. Um, but obviously you don't want to rush him back for preseason. It's not the end of the world if he's not ready, but it would be better if he was getting these minutes as opposed to giving them to Cristiano Felicio. Definitely. We all, we can all agree on that. And I mean, Wendell's probably not that far away. He was close to playing in this game. Apparently, uh, Boylan was going to potentially play him if he was fine. But if, if he's not, if he's not 100%, there's no point in playing him in preseason. And they wisely held him out. But maybe he comes back in the next game. But yeah, we want to see Wendell back because we talked about the defense being a, a bit of an issue through two games. But that will get cleaned up some with having Wendell out there. But I guess we should probably close. On the other rookie, we talked about Daniel Gafford, but we should probably close with Kobe White, who has been super impressive through two games. I, I was okay with the pick of Kobe White at the draft. I, th- I always thought he would be a contributor at some point, but at the moment, he's probably a little bit too quick to jack up his shot, but based on his complete all-round game, he's probably done some things that I wasn't necessarily expecting, or at least he's ahead of my development curve that, that I thought he was on. But uh, what are your thoughts about Kobe White through two games? He's been pretty decent. Yeah, I mean, I th- uh, obviously you'd like to see him shoot the ball better. Um, he he's, was 40%. He shot 6 of 15 tonight and only made one out of his five three-point attempts. So obviously that's that's not the best. Um, and the other thing I think that I'm getting the criticisms out of the way and then I'll, and then I'll tell you what I like about him. Uh, (laughs) the, he only had one free throw attempt in 20, basically 27 minutes tonight. So, I mean, those are some of the things like he, he didn't shoot the ball particularly well in summer league. I think he, he is a shooter. He shot very well in college. 
and you know he he i think there's a couple of things with his shooting percentages i think he has been taking kind of difficult shots yeah and i but some of his threes he's been wide open on and he just hasn't hit um those will go down for him but the other thing is is that i think that in the half court he doesn't it's so weird because he is so fast but i don't think he has like an explosive first step i think he's just fast so he he there's a difference between being like fast over a long period of you know of the entire length of the court versus like having that explosive first step in the half court and he doesn't really have that and so he struggles to get to his spots in the half court which is why i think that free throw rate isn't kind of where you'd like to see it other than that, though, I, I have liked some of his, his passing vision, and I also, his his sort of individual defense when he's been sort of ice, uh, on, an, on an island on defense has been much better than I expected. You know, he's obviously tall for a point guard, but he has uh, that negative wingspan, so he's actually not super huge for point guard and is actually kind of undersized for a two guard um, when he's playing there, but... And he's also, you know, fairly weak physically. Um, so you don't expect his, his defense, especially in an isolation sort of situation, to, to look all that great. But I thought he, you know, uh, kept guys in front of him and shuffled his feet pretty well and played good positioning and didn't bite on pump fakes. Like, I, there was a bunch of stuff. Uh, there was a few times where he got, um, you know, matched up. And, you know, I think whoever whomever it was, uh, I, I, I don't remember offhand, but whomever the guards were that were trying to kind of, like, take advantage of him, um, I think thought he was going to be easier to to have their way with, and he uh, didn't allow it to happen. So I like that. I um, candidly was not able to really uh, pay that close of attention to notice how he looked from a team defense perspective. But kind of like like I mentioned, I think that the team defense overall was a, kind of a mess and has been kind of a mess the first two games. Um, the, I, I want to say quickly though, I, I think the biggest thing that I noticed uh, from the Bulls' whole team defense was just that it seemed like this, and this might just be kinks that need to get ironed out, but it seemed like guys were helping down into the paint and then they were too way too slow to react to the corners, which is why they were giving up so many threes. And uh, it just seemed like something about the way that they're playing defense right now. And again, I, I'm only going based on what the end result was and seeing guys running out to the corners way late. It's something about what they're doing, and I don't know what it is because I, again, haven't like sat down and really watched it in slow-mo or like in any sort of detail to kind of understand it. They're just reaction times. It could just be that they're not used to the positioning or whatever, but they were, they're just so slow to those corners. And, you know, that, that seemed like it was everybody. I'm not picking out Kobe White for that. I just, the, the whole defense, I think, is a big work in progress for everybody from a team defense perspective. But his individual defense, I thought, was, was pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, that, that's probably been the biggest aspect that I've liked about White. I was expecting him, I, I wasn't expecting him to be a turnstile to a, to that extent, but I, I thought he was going to be beaten consistently, at least in the first couple of games, as you would expect. He's a 19-year-old rookie, so, you know, he's, he hasn't necessarily filled into his body, so it wouldn't be too far-fetched to expect that, but he has been holding his own individually, at least. Uh, in most matchups, he's looked pretty good. He's been moving his feet very well. He had a he had a great defensive possession against the Bucks, where he caused a turnover. I mean, against against the Pelicans tonight, I, th- I thought his best play tonight was actually a pass that he made to Tad Young along the baseline. He made a nice read where he hit 
a cutting Thad Young on the backdoor cut. Yep. He actually got past Zion, actually. He, he caught Zion sleeping a little bit, and, and Kobe find, found him on the pass and threaded the needle and made a nice pass. So if he can make those reads, if you, if you can play some decent defense and maybe just, you know, instead of taking 15 shots, maybe take 12 shots and make those 12 shots good shots, I think then off the bench is that spark plug. Kobe White, he's probably ahead of where I thought he would be. So that's that's definitely the positive with White as well. So White, Gafford, they're providing something to this rotation, probably a little bit more than I expected, which is obviously good news for the Bulls. Once Wendell Carter comes back, that rotation will be short up as well. And we probably shouldn't forget Chandler Hutchinson, who'll probably be fighting with Denzel Valentine for some of those backup wing minutes. But I guess that'll be unfolding over the next few days. But Look, I, I, that's probably all we have for now, Kevin. I'm sure we could probably go on forever talking about, again, the first three quarters of this game. We were ignoring the last quarter, but... Um, yeah, forget that quarter. Any final takeaways? Yeah, yeah, screw that. Yeah, I uh, I just was going to say qu- quickly, the, the one thing that is good about the whole uh, watching Kobe play, I think, is it it does seem to match up with the idea that the Bulls um, kind of put out there that they felt like he was further along than sort of they expected, especially after summer league or whatever. Um, obviously, the shots got to start start falling, and there are still things to not worry about, but things to that he obviously every player has weaknesses, especially you know players that aren't you know number one overall picks, generational prospects or whatever. Um, but I think that it, it that does kind of match up with what you know I think we're seeing is that he's he is a better defensive player. He gives effort. That he he's further along on that than. Um, I think maybe he was thought to be. So it's good that they they weren't just, you know, pumping up their player because that's a thing that they sometimes do. But yeah, uh, overall, I think, you know, even though they're 0-2 so far in the preseason, I think there have been some really encouraging signs. Get well soon, Wendell. Um, really want to see him play with this group. So hopefully his butt stops being sore soon. <laughs> <laughs> So hopefully, fingers crossed, his uh, his butt gets healthy. But um, I guess the last point that I wanted to make is uh, yeah, Zion Williamson. He, he looks like he's going to be pretty good. Uh, yeah, Zion um is we did, <laughs> yeah we like didn't really t- talk about him. At, <laughs> I totally forgot at, about him. at all. But he's <laughs> unbelievable, and uh, you know, I'm still a little bitter that the Bulls didn't win the the lottery. No offense, oh, no offense, no, Kobe White, no. but uh, yeah, Zion looks like the real deal, and uh, his 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 like. Pro hop move that he does um, in the lane yeah. is like one of the most terrifying things I've seen like from an opposing player because <laughs> it's he can he he's explosive into the jump uh, on the on the hop but the, the second hop or the second jump after the hop is like you don't know which direction he's going to go into it but whatever whichever direction he goes he's going to be explosive and um, his touch around the basket is also like uh, I mean I, I had seen him do it in college but like you never know how it's going to translate against bigger guys and more athletic guys but his you know, finishing up and over and around guys, even when he's not able to dunk everything, is is uh, you know pretty high level. Um, I guess there's a reason his you know, f- I think he finished at the basket at like some like high 70s, maybe 80 percent or some some crazy number like that in college. So that is definitely translated for him. He's a freak, and uh, he's probably going to win Rookie of the Year if there's any justice in the world. Yeah, for sure. I mean, 92 percent from the field today, 12 or 13 from the field. Just just a complete freak. He, he, oh, we obviously know him playing above the rim but to your point if he hops and takes like his massive weight into some guy's rib cage or some guy's shoulder there is literally no way that you can stop Zion I was actually fearful for Larry having to guard Zion or whoever it was 
was that was matched up on on Zion at some points because there is literally nothing you can do about this guy and it seems that's the case already but uh, what an absolute freak but um mate I appreciate you joining me to talk about the first couple preseason games about our balls thankfully they won through three quarters that is all we're acknowledging and um that's all i care to talk about the starters won forget baby. that the starters won. <laughs> the starters won that's it that's it but uh before you get away tell tell everyone where they can follow you online if for whatever reason they're not already doing so yeah um if yeah if you don't if you don't already follow me and you listen to this podcast uh well i've been on it a bunch of times so um Congratulations for be- <laughs> refusing to follow me before this. Uh, but yeah, so it's at NBA Couchside. I've had that handle for a really long time now, an embarrassingly long time. I've been on Twitter. Um, and uh, yeah, that's. I sometimes write things on my on my little medium blog, but it's pretty rare these days. I mostly just shout into the void on Twitter about the Bulls and various other things. No, I mean, that's a pretty good summation of, of who you are, so I appreciate that. But follow Kevin on Twitter at NBA Couchside. Mate, I appreciate you coming on. We'll obviously do this as the season progresses, but uh, thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you for joining in. It's been a fun couple opening preseason games for the Bulls. Obviously, today, like I said, the first three quarters were amazing, but we'll see what happens over the next few preseason games. We'll be back again next week to wrap up those. So be on the lookout for all of that in the usual spots. Follow me on Twitter at MKHoops. Follow the show on Twitter too at BullsHQPod. If you want to join in the discussion, we've got a Discord forum for BullsHQ going right now so if you want to be part of that send us an email at bullshqpod at gmail.com get on that and uh join the conversation but appreciate you joining in on this episode of the show hopefully you enjoyed it and we'll see how what happens over the next few preseason games we'll talk then bulls fans Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.